So how's the detox going? Everybody happy? Is all clean, or is it still, you know, painful body, struggling mind, glimpses of insight, glimpses of realization, moments where everything starts going strange again, feeling confused, physical stress, you know, those are new things that uh, are problematic, you know. People, uh, weather, mm, food, mm, sharing a pl- sharing a room, mm, times, um, same old thing every day. Then something else has come in. It's you find yourself getting st- stuck. Sticks, clings, sticks, and this is our. These places, uh, this is to just recognize a process, you know, whether it's stuck. This is the place of practice, the place of uh, penetration, to be penetrated. Mm. Always something else comes along when you're stuck and struggles. Mm. Who's disappointed by oneself or disappointed by others or life in general or the world or politics or people or Buddhism or something, you know, stuck, you know, retreats and so on, teachers, teachings. So these are all the world of uh, appearance, conventions, sense consciousness, its various forms including the con- intellect consciousness, mind consciousness. And uh, we particularly, you know, looking for the right place in that, in all that. And this is quite a subtle and tricky thing. You know, the place is really place of practice, place of practice, place of understanding, uh, clinging, yeah, and the practice with the clinging, get some space, something in one's personal realm has to shift. That's mm. to loosen, that's to be understood as a craving, stability, happiness, and so on. Craving for clarity, craving for freedom, craving for, you know, many, many good things that we find missing in ourselves and in the world. Wish my moods were more comfortable, my mind states, wish people were fairer or more agreeable. As far as we can see, you haven't found that that yet on that level these first three fetters um, 
really are three aspects of the same experience. Uh, so he called them three. The uh, personality view, Sakaya Ditti. And then the attachment to customs and systems, rites and rituals, however it's expressed, Hila, Pata Paramasa. Um, and the third one, Vichikicha, uncertainty, doubt, lack of confidence, uh, uh, no, no realization of the deathless or the transcendent or the transpersonal. Mm. So these three are aspects of the same thing. So that the, you know, the personality is itself a, a mass of systems and customs. You know, things I do, things that work for me, and we we structure we structure our personal lives in a way to facilitate the greatest degree of comfort and ease and stability and feeling things we're good about, interesting things, values, so forth. We feel good about. Uh, and feel settled in, and this itself is quite a struggle because it's, uh, you know, just dealing dealing with a system it is innate, innately unstable. And I think, as many of us find, when you do, you know, get things seemingly going the way you'd like them to, still, you're finding your mind is still ups and downs um, conflicts or with other people who are doing things the way they like them but it doesn't match the way that you quite like them or feel agreeable with or whatever and then they're trying to fit into the conventional world which is again not running according to the way one would feel most comfortable and agreeable about there's always a kind of conflict having to get a job, make money, a house, deal with a body that has sickness and age built into it. Yeah. And uh, a heart that searches for affection, warmth, comfortable people to be with. Yeah. It's an independent experience, the personality. And it tries to be independent. Yeah. Or at least on top. So... You know, I may not think I'm independent, but well, I want to be able to shift the dependencies around so they fit me. <laughs> you know, I don't deny that I need food, but I can only really choose the food I eat. Uh, you know, I do recognize I'm dependent on other people, and I'll choose the people I live with. Yeah, so it's a kind of, <laughs> it, it seems to be, um, you know, independent, but it's not. Uh, you know, and this is the freedom. <laughs> Often the worldly freedom is freedom of that nature, yeah. and you know, this is not bad at all. But you realise it is. Well, I don't know. Search for yourself, but it, it's it's unsatisfactory. It's incomplete and requires quite a lot of doing to keep it going. The personal world, uh, and if we do get it reasonable, still. You know, it's got its rough edges to it. There's noticing you know, how many people find their husband, they don't really like them very much after a few years, and, and vice versa. Or you started off, but then you kind of diverged after five years. He went that way, I went this way, and we kind of 
it's okay, you know, get on, but I can't really, not a lot of life left in it. <laughs> and so these things occur, you know. Remember, we say monasteries, you know, you, you find us living with all kinds of people because people are always coming and going and it's a kind of open shop in a way, open house, so the, not just the visitors and guests, but the monks and nuns are coming and going. And naturally, some you rather like, and they go away. And some you don't like, and they stick around. (laughs) 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 So then you go somewhere else, and the same thing happens, you know. And then the routines get bored with the same old thing every day, so you try and find new changes to it, but it gets a hassle to keep trying to change, because basically there's only four or five ingredients in it. You can, you know, there's a great revolution when we took it in order to begin, you know, rather than the same person beginning the chanting every day, we, we moved it up and down the line. That was kind of revolutionary in those days. <laughs> Still, it's only, it's only so many things you can chant, and you've been through the whole kind of, you know, menu of chants. You go back again, and then this person's leading it doesn't know how to chant. He's got a rotten voice, and you soon have somebody who really knew what they were doing. But you've gone to this kind of mode. Everybody's got to do it, whether they're good at it or not. And you think, well, okay. So you know, you, it's like you're sitting in a, in a chair. Your, your left leg goes numb, so you sit towards the right, and the right leg goes numb. And you sit <laughs> I think maybe I'll sit on the floor. Then my back hurts. And, okay, maybe if I lie down, then I <laughs> looking for the, you know, the soft, soft, soft spot. It, you know, you get places that feel soft for a while, and then it goes again. Yeah. So, this the personal world, and then the you know the way we systematize it and trying to get it into a system that will work for me, however subtle or refined that is, and wandering lifestyle. So people, I like to have a wandering system, system where I wander freely, rather than be stuck in some conventional mode. But then you're wandering freely, you know. it's pretty rough too. And then eventually you're getting too old to wander freely, then you have to go and live in some place where they've got a system and customs that will look after you. <laughs> or even I've noticed that the, the people who kind of, you know, independent wander freely, then they, they, when they do come to visit the community, they think, this guy's really difficult to get on with because he's obsessed with his own views and opinions, because he hasn't had to live in a situation where you're constantly met by people who think differently or think slower or have different emotional states or different... and you're kind of grinding away until you get more, okay, well... <laughs> space, space, space. And uh, this kind of... the very the art of compromise, which... Uh, Always feels like it wasn't quite what I wanted, but it's okay. It doesn't sound like a very good result, does it? Yeah. It's okay, <laughs> but that on the conventional level, I I don't know if it gets any better than that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, having certainly having lived in monasteries for a while, and you see all the 
discontent in that. Not always discontent, but there's an element of that experience. You know, in groups of people who different. We live in multicultural groups in Britain, so they don't always exactly speak. You know, the English isn't always on the same level, so that makes a confusion. And then, then some people like to be reclusive and don't say very much. Some people like to be more active, and there's a bit of conflict there over how the things should run. And then some people want to be consultant and everything. Other people don't only bother to go to meetings. Okay, let's have a democratic choice. So some people democratically democratically choose not to go to the meeting where we're going to have the democratic choice (laughs) of what to do. (laughs) I don't like these things. Charles just go along with it. Okay. So, you know, we have a number of ways in your kind of experiment we're trying to make it work for everyone and haven't really found one yet. Yeah. And then, but then I also notice in Dharma, you know, well, what's it like out, uh, you know, fitting into all these cranky old customs uh, and the, that uh, go on in mo- monasteries, you know, the bowing and the chanting and the robes and the, and uh, various things you think, well, I won't bother with that, you know. We, if we could just kind of, you know, clear all this stuff out, get down to the pure thing. Uh, and then they go to Dharma communities and they have the same issues. Well, similar issues. You know, conflicts, interpersonal jealousies, who gets more attention, who gets the lead, who's junior, who's senior, and, and so on. You know, who's doing the washing up and, uh, and problems with the staff. And don't feel they get enough Dharma input, have to work like crazy. Um, and so on, and then the teachers think, well, I've you know I've been teaching for, I need a break, two months sabbatical, and all these things are trying to work it out. And there's always these qualities of conflict, and uh, you know you have meetings where things get discussed, and sometimes people achieve a resolution. A lot of the times they just let things sit in the open space, and you know, okay, well that's where we are now. Yeah, and. Uh, the conventional world. And ideolo- idealistically, I would like to feel there was a conventional world that would be, you know, right. And you get quite righteous, but you notice when you follow that, you get quite righteous and start judging everybody. And, and uh, this doesn't feel quite right either. Yeah. <laughs> So we see how much the, you know, this, you know, to meet the, the dukkha of conventional reality. It's an easy, it's not even that easy a phrase, but it's quite, it's a very difficult practice. It's a challenging practice to meet the dukkha of conventional reality. Yeah. And this isn't just putting up with it. This is to do with something that penetrates the personality realm, you know, and ask us to question where our security really is and where our sense of comfort and happiness really is. You know? And then, you know, it pushes. Uh, and this is how you transcend that doubt. 
because you rec- you realize there is a place or and you look for, you go to that and uh, you're trying to live in a way whereby that access to that transcendent is available you don't get too involved with the conventional stuff either fascinated by it endlessly preening it up or always getting stuck in the tangly bits of it okay they say um, in the um, um, Thai particularly Thai monasteries you ask them, how are you doing in Thai you survive my cup you're, you're well happy you're, poor you die means I can live with it <laughs> or poor Chai die I can get on with it it's a certain <laughs> it doesn't mean oh everything's great no I, I can bear it I can live with it and that's considered oh yeah he's alright then <laughs> that's considered pretty good high standard I mean, bearable I can bear with it and then, but then when you do look around you realize, yeah I can understand why that's quite high standard because a lot of things I find rather difficult to bear in all this, <laughs> you know, the, the the suddenly you know, loads of people turn up, places completely full of people, uh, milling in and out, and then the next day it's half empty, and then this monk's having a quarrel with him, and then something breaks down, and then there's more people want this now and the other, and there's a dispute, and then there's business, and then it gets hot, and then the electricity breaks down and so forth, and then you've got this to do and that to do, and you get five demands occurring at the same time, and you think, yeah, just to say you can you can live with it is a pretty high statement of, of practice, <laughs> and uh, you know people do. Yeah. And just you practicing the sense of you know working with that edge of dukkha, and you, 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 breathing out, breathing out, breathing out, and then you see this is where the whole uh, bowing thing, you know, which is. Clearly, can be just a conventional mannerism to indicate politeness, but uh, does refer to something rather, rather deeper. That sense of relinquishment and surrender of the person, yeah, and that one does this willingly, not commanded to do it willingly. Feeling releasing, giving up, laying things down. And this is something that. You know, you, also you can see occurring, people don't like each other, can still bow to each other. Uh, on a bad day, you can still do that. And it acts as a kind of like a, it's a simple gesture, simple point, but then it does refer to something internally that you can cultivate. Now, I was quite impressed a few years back, uh, you know, a couple I knew been married for about thirty years, so so that's quite, you know, something. And they 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 sort of they wanted to come to the monastery and say we'd like to have a, a top up of our marriage. You know, actually kind of refresh it. So they sat together, and then uh, the husband said, "You know, I recognise so and so and so. You know, I've not been perfect, and." Uh, Asked for forgiveness, and then he bowed, got down on his hands and knees, and bowed to her. 
and he clearly meant it and then she similarly similar gesture you know it's quite beautiful because they you know what it wasn't a they did it of their own spontaneous understanding uh, you know and then a few months or two ago the, the the wife got killed in a car crash suddenly in the middle of the night it's an immediate car crash so the husband came out and his wife's all mangled up dead and so he had to arrange a funeral and all that and just hold, hold it together to go through this process of trying to contact all the family make all the arrangements and deal with his own huge loss simultaneously and he did it all and then they brought the coffin in, into the monastery and they placed it on a on a pedestal and he gave a talk and then he said now I'm going to um, pay my respects and he again you can join me if you like and he got down his hands and he's bowed to the coffin this is it's not just a gesture <laughs> is it really I don't know if you get that Whatever, whoever, however, you know, you know, no conflict, let it be, you know, living, dead, no conflict, whatever, let it be, you know, opening to the grief, the loss, and the presence of other people who, you know, were there preferences and choices and likes and so forth okay that's I can do that you know, I can do that you know I can say may, may that fit you well be well I can do I can still offer that I can offer that quality of loving acceptance you know, don't always have to agree but may that be well for you and then it's always this is a liberating gesture my sense, because then you know, I don't agree, don't like, get frustrated, hear, feel disappointed, feel let down. Still, I, it doesn't stop me saying, "Okay, well, may that be well for you." You know, and at that moment, there's a freeing up of the stop. Can't you get it? Stop doing this, isn't it? You know. <laughs> And you know, so this is so rather than expect us to, you know, everything to be all steady and stable. This is surely this is a gesture that we can keep making, you know, or remembering, or trying to feel our way into, both in our life around us, the world around us. So, well, I, you know, I try and keep what I feel is my value. Here, yeah, and part of my value is to recognize I have a personal perspective on things. It cannot, uh, you know, once I come into the sense consciousness level, everybody's going to have a personal perspective on it (laughs) because that's what it means. (laughs) When you come into sense consciousness, you come into the personal, that's where the person gets formed. Yeah. So I have a personal perspective on it. However, 
you know, ideologically altruistic that is. It's my personally altruistic perception of things. My, my, my experience of what I find fair and just and free and happy and comfortable, you know. And, uh, and But then that, that's here. I can't say it's not here. But at the same time, you know, do I need to believe, do I need to believe in it? Do I need to cling to it? Do I need to expect other people to be it? Well, if I do, I'm going to suffer. That's for sure. Do I need to abandon it? No, not really. Just relinquish the hold of it. Yeah. And that means oh, there's no, less suffering or, or, you know, just that working with the edge of the Vedana and the perception and the volition. I want to do things this way. It's more effective, more convenient, more steady, more appropriate, more to the point. This way. Now you're going to go this way. Wriggle, wriggle, left, pause, wait, go back three steps, go forward. Oh, yeah, yeah, I want to do it this way. Why? Because that's the way it's done. Oh. <laughs> It's rather like language, you know, you try to speak uh, the right language, (laughs) is the one. And so, example of that nature, you know, you like you try and <laughs> explain spelling, English spelling, to somebody who's not English, it doesn't make sense. What is this GH? Sometimes it, it doesn't sound like anything through, rough, cough, bow. I mean, it changes its, its sound. Why? Well, because it, it is that way. But why? Well, it, I don't know, it just is that way, you know. <laughs> so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a system, a custom, wouldn't it? You know, there probably were causes and conditions that made it that way, but now everybody's got it. So, you know, we could try and make, right, let's clean out this language system and get it really nice, you know, proper. Nobody'd speak it. So I just came from this... Uh, situation in Thailand and these, this group has been 15 years working on the correct pronunciation of the Pali Tripitaka. It's a big, you know, big project, 15 years. Because in Thai, they don't pronounce the Pali. They pronounce their own way of doing it. I'm not going to say it's wrong, but they've got their own way of pronouncing it because of the nature of the Thai language is, is tonal. So, and complex reasons, but the tone or and the nature of the, of the syllables and the consonants means some words cannot end this way and some tones have to go this way. So you put that into a Pali and it twists the Pali. Twists the, so the pronunciation technically not in line with the Pali. You know? And so they worked out this way of the correct pronunciation. When they chant it, it sounds horrible. <laughs> Because you're rather like the tie is kind of 
flowing and operatic and melodic and all these kind of subtle tones and semitones in it. It's not correct, but when you get a thousand people doing it, it sounds great. <laughs> you think, what are you going to do? You know, go to can, get to get sixty million ties to chant a different way, or say, I could live with it. <laughs> These are the things you you know one comes against, and so uh, you know I have a certain amount of attachment to <laughs> on this level, yeah, to the right way, mm, particularly with language, and then even you get to British, see British spelling, and even some of the terms are different from American, so which is the right way, you know. And the British say, well, we got here first. <laughs> but if you look at the nature of English, well, you know, it's been changing all the time. So just because, you know, you, uh, Shakespeare had it a certain way, it's moved, it's changed. And, you know, the British would go in one direction, Americans tend to go in another direction, but none of them are speaking you know, they've all deviated just in different directions. And then you get Jamaican and Singapore, and they all got branched out, so which is correct. Who's got it right? You think. And you fumble along, and you meet these places where you, what? What is she talking about? Oh, that means that, you know. Uh, and then, but, then you get kind of problematic, particularly in editing books right punctuation and stuff like that and spelling and you realise whoever it isn't going to work you know because whichever system you use somebody in the other system can say that's weird that's misspelled yeah and this is fairly you know innocuous really but it gives one an example that perhaps there isn't a right way you know Kind of, yeah, rest isn't the right way. No. And look at things like you know, democracy, you know, democratic countries, India's democratic, America's democratic, Britain's democratic. People are not, political systems, people are not happy with them. They're manifestly dysfunctional and bigoted and biased and prejudiced and so forth. Yeah. I'm not saying it's worse, but it's certainly not you know, perfect. You had know, communism sounds like a good idea, everybody equal, share it all out, everybody equal right every equal possessions, share it out. That was a butchery and tyranny. <laughs> you know. And there you go to what then you have a Islam, Sharia rule and stuff like that, got it all in accordance with the will of Allah and so forth should be right. Look at the things that get done with that. Okay, what about Christianity then? Well you look at the papacy was riddled with corruption and brutality. <laughs> the church finding all this sexual abuse and power struggles and and stuff like that. You think, oh yeah, yeah, you know. So You know, uh, then if you can kind of recognise, well, if we can keep the five precepts and make an effort with that, and you know, we can keep the five precepts, make an effort with that, we can make a big effort with 
loving acceptance, if we can make a big effort with truthfulness, you know, then at least we live with honour and respect in ourselves and honour and respect for the other people and you recognise this bit that doesn't quite meet and match. And that's the, called the Sabawa Dukkha, the Dukkha of conventional reality. And once you start to get too stuck on it, and the mind always is conceived as an option. It could be another way, which would be. It could be another way, which would be. And you notice this in just when you're sitting meditation, you know, just it was a tad warmer, it would be. Just the cushion was just a little bit thicker, it would be. If my knee was just a little bit more comfortable, it would be okay. Then, ah, oh, you yeah, see, that's better. Uh oh, hip's gone. You know, it just it's the wriggle, isn't it? And then just make an effort with that. And the phrase is make an effort with friendliness, with a sense of okay, this is a long haul. <laughs> you know. It's that's you know, it's it's gonna take some time working with this. Uh, uh, let's not get too frenzied, too righteous, too frustrated. Just make the best that you can to make the process acceptable and learn the bits that can flex. Yeah. And certainly the less we are uh, affected by dogmatism of any kind, that certainly gives a bit more breathing space when we get down to being human. Mm. So these are then the, the essence of being human is a certain within that, you know, the sensitivity, you know, the love of peace, um, a sense of conscience and concern, mm, you know, the ability to be attentive, extend, expand one's awareness, be giving, all these qualities, the, the potentials of the chitta. You know, that are not personal. They're transpersonal. Everybody has them. Doesn't matter what your beliefs are, your thoughts are, you still have these qualities. Whatever your body's doing, you still have these qualities. You can't, you know, they're potentially there loving acceptance, clarity, honesty, patience. You can expand your awareness, you can bear with, you know, a little bit longer. And you can realize the place where the mind starts to release. And so then it's up to us to, you know, bear with and incline that way. The result of this then is one enters the personal world, you're less fixated on it one way or another. Because it's not a place you're searching for stability in or things to always be agreeable because you've got the space and you've got the access and you've got in touch with uh, something where you you know you feel steady balanced a refuge it's what all retreats are about really on finding that refuge place and of course, uh, as we, uh, you know, continue our, our lives, then, 
the beauty, in my opinion, you know, where I see it, the beauty of the Buddha's teaching is that once you get, you've had some realizations, and then you begin to get some intellectual understanding. Yeah, so first of all, you just shelve a lot of the intellect altogether and go into direct embodied experience and keep quelling the thought processes which are affected by clinging and grasping and and ideas and opinions. And then you learn, the mind learns eventually just to listen to how it is. Listen to how it is, through not just through a moment, through a day through a range of situations, really listen to how it is. Not just in occurrence what one's doing, but what happens. Look around, see how it is, contemplate how it is. Learn, learn from this. Learn these fundamental truths, impermanence, transience, change, everything is ephemeral, everything is mobile, everything is fluid. Nothing finally resolves or completes. Everything is dukkha in that respect. The world puts a pressure on the mind. Fortunately, none of this is personal. It just seems personal. And that is, that's something to, you know, perhaps hold as an idea and then check out. Because this is not conceptual. The idea of self is not a concept, it's an experience of clinging, of something bunches up and holds, something constellates around and wants to hold on to, something bunches up and tries to push and keep things out, something forms walls and boundaries and shuts things out. Something reaches out and tries to draw something in. Yeah, and so this this is the felt experience of it. Yeah. We reach out and try to claim this my space. And don't want that, I don't want that, I want that, more of that, less of that, you know. Go the way I want it to. Something does that. Something says Leave me alone, leave me alone, leave me alone. <laughs> shut, shut, shut. Something does that. This is nothing to feel particularly guilty about, you know, as if something wrong with you. This is just a mechanism to understand everybody has this. Unless you're, you know, an Aryan, an Arahant, you'll have some of this. Uh, it's nothing to feel ashamed of or guilty about or... Just, that's your edge. You want to notice it, uh, acknowledge it. Not just what you know, what's causing it, which one can have issues with, but the very that very mechanism of trying to claim the world, the person, the family, the group, the retreat, Buddhism, whatever. Trying to make it mine and nice and you know, <laughs> or shut out the bits. I don't want, or not have any of them, you know, be living in free fall. All that, there's walls and boundaries, isn't it? And something, just notice how one creates those around, you know, around the chore, this is the way to mop a floor, you know. So you can get issues around that, my floor. 
<laughs> it sounds absurd, but it's real. It happens. <laughs> you get, you know, I notice in monasteries you kind of get kitchen tyrants. This is the way the kitchen's going to run. You know. And everything has to go there and there and there because it's orderly and this is the da 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 da. Kitchen tyrant comes and he goes, oh, yo, yo, here we go. <laughs> Very deeply unpleasant. Uh, but certainly one of, the, one of the beautiful things about monastic life, the kitchen tyrant is doing all this kind of things nice and tidy in order with system, proper, the knives go there, the forks go there, one this, that and the other. And then just 20 minutes before the meal, a whole bunch of devotees turn up 40 of moving to the kitchen to take over. <laughs> They've just blown away all the nice systems and structures. <laughs> oh, we just had it about right, and then it's all... <laughs> and you say, yeah, because it wasn't self, was it? <laughs> it wasn't something you could hold and own. And, uh, you know... <laughs> And so one tries to form these, you know, well, I like get my privacy, my private space where you just, you know, <laughs> you do that for a while and you try and do that and just get cranky, <laughs> obsessive. Uh, and then, you know, I think as Ajahn Charles said, he got fed up one time living with his, there's, you know, salmon errors always kind of kicking around and messing around. There's little boys, and you're not really, you know, the monks were kind of, he's into his own trip. I'm getting away from these people. I want to live with some good people instead. So he went up to live on his own. You're thinking, yeah, oh, this is better. I dare say, it's kind of nice there's a salmon error around who could deal with that piece of, because of, because you can't cut, you see, you can't cut uh, uh, any vegetation. So if the weeds are growing towards your coot, you have to get some here and say, "There's some vegetation there," <clears throat> and hope he takes the hint. Because <laughs> you can't tell him to do it. Sometimes, or you say, "Contemplate the spade," and they, they don't necessarily get the point. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, <clears throat> But generally, the, the, the Thai ones are pretty savvy. They go around and they happily hack away because they're kids, really, and they want to do something lively. So they sit there, it'd be nice to have a summon airhead to do something. And then, if you could have another monk here, if we could talk, you know, they realised, where do I find the good person? So, find a good person here. <laughs> And the good person has loving acceptance. <laughs> That's then. There's your private space. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I noticed something like that. You know, Ajahn Chah spent most of his, I mean, twelve hours a day, just talking to people. People coming and seeing him twelve hours a day. I'm sure it wasn't all high dhamma. So it must have just been gossip, village chit-chat, people arguing, have to sort out domestic quarrels, or the you know, local drug baron comes by and wants a blessing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of it's like that, really. 
and then, okay, you know, I know this. And uh, current Ajahn Liam, Lung Po Liam, he is it's Kuti, and the, the general of the convention is that the ground floor of the Kuti is an open space, and anybody can roll in there, and people do. And the upstairs is your, where you can go to take a rest. But he's basically given up. So the upstairs he just uses a store cupboard, and he lives downstairs, and he's sitting there, and there's people all day long, in out, in out, in out, in out, in out, all day long, literally. Yeah. And, you know, and at a certain time they decide they want to give a massage, so somebody grabs a leg and his leg goes. His... <laughs> and then they decide he wants, they want to bathe him, so yes, there three three people bathe him, you know. And about 10 o'clock at night they leave him alone <laughs> and he drags this piece of rattan out from behind the shrine, rolls it on the floor, lies down. That's it. And it's still open space and three o'clock you get up or something like that you know so it's no boundary yeah but that's you know that's that's a really massive practice in a place like that where there's thousands of people coming and going it's not he's particularly he's not particularly sociable person either you know in fact he told me so I don't even like Wat Pong. I've been here 50 years I don't like it very much Personally, <laughs> but you know, poor you die, I can live with it. <laughs> you think that's that's a massive statement, actually, isn't it? <laughs> that's a massive statement. Such a such a simple thing. It's a massive statement. Why can't I? You know, what can't I bear? What can't I live with? And that's, again, nothing to get guilty about or complaining about, just notice. There's the edge. There's the edge. Can I see what's really going on there? You know, the, what does that mean? A loss of self. What does that mean? That experience of, I don't want this. What is that? Can you, there's the aggregates. Sticking together, sanya perception, these agitated mental formations, right there. There's the place. Can you just bear a little bit longer? Can you meet that edge just a little bit? Breathing out, opening the space. Yeah. Don't. I wouldn't go to it intellectually. Don't think about it. Just think about it enough to notice it's there. That's that. And try to feel it, and then keeping your body open as open as you can. You know the breath channels. We're doing quite a lot on opening the body, keeping your body open and loose as best you can. Bear with it. Feel the ground. Bear with it. Open. Relax. Don't be in a hurry. You don't get through these boundaries in a flash. They push. And you push, and you relax, and you push you open and they squeeze and you work and you relax and you look at the state of heart and you try to generate something less pressurized in your own heart and this is the way you work with these these boundaries it's rather like you know something's like stiff leather you can't push through it you'll crack it you have to gently squeeze against the boundaries 
of self because they're extremely it's clinging does cling very well <laughs> it knows its job <laughs> and it justifies itself so you just this is that can I just lean a little bit against that not even to get rid of it just to feel I'm not collapsing under it I'm bearing with it yeah and I'm not proliferating around it and I'm not you know annoyed with myself for experiencing it I'm not blaming anybody else I'm just feeling the edge and leaning into it this is this is perception this is the feeling this is the bodily activation that gives me an indication of the mental activation this is where the ground is this is where breathing out is a little bit longer let go of time the time idea which gets very fast when the mind clings time speeds up it's very fast because that's a sign of the agitation so we bear that phrase in mind all the time in the world to be at that place resting moving through and you know this is the way you find I can bear with this it gets less intense you know, and after a while, surprisingly enough, it's, I don't think there's an immediate, maybe there is for you sometimes, but it's like a slow fading of the intensity of that boundary. It's okay. Yeah, if you ask me, it's like, no, it's not agreeable, is it? No, I don't agree with it either, but I'm not bound by that, not pressurized by that. And you know, it doesn't take away my possibility for loving, loving acceptance, for presence, for awareness, for my value. Doesn't doesn't crush that in me. And then, you know, and this is the way we work, and there's something beautiful about that. You know, because anybody who does that kind of work naturally by themselves, without even saying or doing anything. They emanate a quality of space that you find. That's, that's interesting. You know, that's, that's something. It's not because he or she's getting their own way. They look, they, you may think it's because of that. It's because they're not resisting and not grabbing. Ah, there's a possibility. Can I feel, I want to know that place in myself, the resisting and the grabbing. I want to know that so that I can work with it. This is someone who's really got their eye on, well, you know, the Buddha's path for liberation. So as you're practicing today, and if you have found a reasonable system where you can find refuge, where you can get into body, breathing, or, you know, flowing. You can feel your energies, you can use them as as a witness to your mental patterns, because it's the mental patterns that have to be undone. Use them as a witness to your mental patterns, how you can acknowledge a mental pattern, a mental process, a mental program, how you can review it, how you can meet it, how you can respond to it, so that it, it, it can unbind. So, offer this for your reflection.